0: Genuine faith, genuine living faith is our topic for this morning, our theme this morning. Uh, When you're going to Hebrews chapter 11, you would assume it's going to be something about faith. But I do want to assure you this is not going to be like listening to someone on television who flew into the studios in their private jet and and talk about uh, living by faith uh, as they draw money from widows and others all around the globe uh, even if you're not on that level a favorite passage for many people when it comes to faith is Luke six thirty-eight: give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down shaken together, running over shall men give to your bosom For with the same measure you meet, it shall be measured again to you. That's God's word. It's a wonderful word, but it's in a context. But often it's preached as a way to get, a way to get money. Uh, I fell for that many years ago. I was wanting to be a man of faith, and people that I respected were promoting a preacher that preached on this all across the nation. And well, if you're a man of faith, you can expect this. And I, I prayed and trusted God and He gave me this. Well, as time went along, I ran across Hebrews chapter eleven. And it's on a different note. We want to focus on the notes that we find in Hebrews chapter eleven genuine faith a matter of believing God believing what he says and acting in obedience to what he says you may not get a jet your bank account may or may not be full but the glory of God will be upon you and he'll be honored as you're found faithful for him when others are turning back Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us that we would hear the word of the Lord together. And we bless you for it, for the substance of faith, for the reality of faith. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those are familiar verses to us. And they're wonderful verses, and let's see if we can't discern something from it. But first of all, go back just a tad to chapter 10, the last verse in chapter 10. The Holy Spirit moved the human author of Hebrews, who I believe to be the Apostle Paul, to proclaim, we are not of those who draw back to perdition and destruction and ruin but of them that believe to the saving or to the preserving of the soul. In our own day, there are many who start well, but finish bad. They draw back. This, we're warned of this all through scripture. And John wrote about it in 1 John 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. They went out from us but they were not of us. In the first century, a part of what brought on the Holy Spirit moving Paul to write the book of Hebrews, there were many who had come apparently to faith, but their background was Jewish. And there were people in overdrive and overtime trying to persuade people to go back to Judaism. And history records that there were droves going back to Judaism. And so many of the genuine born-again Christians were troubled. And that's why the book of Hebrews has this incredible focus on the superiority of Christ and why it has such a focus on faith. So for the real saints in God, God is still saying to us today, We are not of those who draw back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving, the preserving of the soul. That tells us that genuine faith is a persevering faith, is a continuing faith. You may stumble, you may fall, you may rebel, but you can't stay there. God will bring you home. God will chasten. It's the old story of the The sow loves the mud and mire, but the sheep, dumb sheep, falls in it, but don't like it so much. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, leads us into this great chapter of faith, where we see faith defined. Now, faith is the substance, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is substance. One translation says faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Believing God, taking God at his word, acting upon the word of God, opens doors of all descriptions. The Christian faith is deeply rooted in what God has already done. The Old Testament believer would look forward to what God is going to do. We are deeply and primarily rooted in what God has accomplished, but also excited about what he is yet going to do. Believing God, acting upon the Word of God. So, on one level, while faith is miraculous, not just mere human faith, but the faith we're talking about here, while it's miraculous, it's not rocket science. It's simple is profound. Faith is believing God. God says it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. So faith is to believe God to the point of banking our lives on it. It reminded me of some time ago, uh, I can almost still see this, always there, and if you have some gold, fine, God bless you. I'm not against you having some gold. But this always ads on the television, get your gold. I got my gold from Roslyn, whatever. That's where you need to get your gold. Well, blessings to you. But remember this, whether it's gold or something else, riches profit not in the day of God's wrath. So that's Proverbs eleven four as we are moving closer and closer and deeper and deeper into the explosions of God's wrath upon this wicked world, we must remember that riches do not profit in the day of wrath. So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, faith bears witness by this, by by it, by faith, the elders... The older ones, the ones who are have been seasoned in walking with God, the people he 's going to be talking about in this chapter that 's who he 's referring to by this, they obtained a good report, so the idea here is that the actions of the Old Testament saints bore witness their faith had a witness we can we 'll read about their witness the witness of their faith here in this chapter. One after another, these Old Testament believers heard what God said, and they acted upon it, to the point, we could say, of banking their lives on it. In verse 3, it talks about creation. Through faith we understand that the worlds were famed, framed, created, fitted by the Word of God so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. What we now see did not come from visible things. Um, what what could some what could someone have seen before God said, let there be firmament, let there be light, let there be darkness, let there be uh, so Jesus said to Thomas, who believed after he saw Jesus, he said, blessed are those who have not seen with their eyes and yet believe. Blessed are those who believe his word. You might be blind, but you can receive the word of God. You might be deaf, but you can receive the word of God. Blessed. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Why do we believe that? We were not eyewitnesses. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of believing God. It's a matter of believing that which we have not seen. It's a matter of believing God's Word. So God called each of these Old Testament believers, and he's calling us today, to live by faith. Faith is to believe God. God. Now beginning in verse 4, the rest of the chapter, we'll hit a few points, but not nearly all of them. We have examples of Old Testament believers who exhibited faith. In every instance, the person or persons who had faith demonstrated their faith by acting upon the Word of God. You say, well, Lord, increase my faith, and that's the prayer that the disciples gave. And it's a good prayer for us. But if I want God to increase my faith and God tells me to love my wife as Christ loved the church, and I said, no, I'm not interested. She's not worthy of it. I won't be receiving any increase in faith because I'm in rebellion against the Word of God. The Bible is closed. I'm I'm, putting a, a wall up between me and the Word of God. I might read something and get convicted. God might want me to change, so keep it closed. Then That way I won't be accountable. If I've not read it. No. The Old Testament believers demonstrated their faith by means of actions. They acted, they responded in obedience to the revealed Word of God. So, this is why we're told in the New Testament not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word of God. Now, in verse 4, we're, we're familiar with Cain and Abel. Both came to worship. Neither one of them were atheists or agnostic. And they both made an offering of sacrifice to God. Cain offered his fruits and vegetables, I'm sure it was wonderful. Abel offered the firstlings of his flock. And so we read in Genesis that the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. What was the difference? Cain's offering was the result of his imagination, leaning to his own understanding, making his own decision. Uh, I know I'm supposed to worship God, and I'm going to do it my way. And Abel had learned, as God had revealed to Adam and Eve, your fig leaves won't work. They'll have to be a sinless substitute to cover if you're going to have a meeting with God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So Abel's sacrifice was a better sacrifice because it was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice, which will be made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Come in worship. Simple obedience. Come in worship. I'm going to lean to my own understanding. I read the writings of a, I won't call his name, in fact I can't call his name right now, <laughs> but a, a big time Southern Baptist preacher, he said the most important thing that a pastor has to do each week is to get along and have creativity and, and learn how to be creative. And so he's had automobiles on the platform while he preached. He's had beds on the platform while he's preached. He's done everything under the sun. It's, it's important to be creative, Because you have to get the people's attention. The word of God is not sufficient. Well, I hope you don't believe that, but millions do. When you and I come to worship, what offering do we bring? A little bit later, we're coming to the Lord's table. Does this represent my heart? I approach God on the basis of the sinless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is believing God. Faith is expressed by obedience to God. You say, have you already said that? I need to keep saying it. I don't know about you, but I need to keep hearing it. This is where we get off track immediately. We lean to our own understanding. Enoch, in verse 5 and 6, uh, the issue there for our purposes here, is that he pleased God. That's the key thing to say about Enoch. He pleased God. It doesn't matter what we don't know about him. It matters what God saw in him and worked in him that was significant. He pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. So Enoch's passion in life was to please God. It was his faith. That's how he lived. Verse 6 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. God was pleased with his faith. Faith is the necessary ingredient in pleasing God. What were the essential, what were the core essentials in Enoch's faith? He who comes to God must believe that he is. You must believe the biblical revelation about God. This is more than just a general belief in a supreme being. This is trust and reliance upon following after the God of Scripture. He who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. What is the reward of those who seek God? They find him. Now, wheels are turning, at least some, Here's a quote. Man's problem is not that he has sought for God and has been unable to find him. Man's problem is that he has not really sought for God. And what do you base that on? Well, Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand and seek God. They've all turned aside, they have altogether become. Corrupt, and there is none that does good. No, only three. Oh, no, not one. Romans 3, verse 10 through 12. As is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none who seeks God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. You say, I don't agree with that. I see people seeking God all the time. Now, one of the things you have to determine when you look at Scripture, when the concept of seeking God, you need to understand the context. Is it talking about believers? Believers are enabled to seek God because the Spirit of God lives within them. They know God. But the people who've been described in Psalms and Romans here, God says, don't seek God. They may seek his blessings. They might want to escape hell. But no man of himself seeks God. You know why? Because as Romans 8, 7 says, man naturally hates God. Now, we don't like to preach that because it might offend some people and they won't come back next week. That's the word of God. Faith is believing God. Do I believe God? Do I believe his word? Or do I try to tone it down to fit my theology? Nevertheless, he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In a world where none naturally seek God, there are those who Seek God. Let's illustrate it with something that might seem weird or silly. I was raised on a farm. And I, I never did this. It's an interesting idea. But have you ever, if you've never seen this, envision it. First of all, envision a fence post. Usually about this tall. And uh, all the fence posts we had were level on top. And so you're going down the fence row, checking the fence row. And there's a turtle up there. Sitting on top of a fence post. Well, how'd that happen? Turtles can't jump. Turtles can't fly. Somebody must have (laughs) unkindly did something that put the turtle where, in and of himself, he could not be. So, we have this teaching in the Bible that none seek God. We're told to seek God, and we're told that it pleases God to seek God, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Well, We have to realize that our seeking God is not because of our smarts or self effort. But when a sinner truly seeks God, he didn't get there by himself. God is always previous in salvation, He's always graciously previous. And one of the encouraging realities found in Hebrews 11 is that the roll call of the faithful is not a roll call of those who are righteous in and of themselves. In that list, there are prostitutes and murderers and liars, real sinners who committed real sins. And they did not get faith by rolling up their sleeves and being good. They were not wiser than their neighbors. But they became good by faith. Where'd they get that? They didn't go down to the shore and buy it. This is one of the things that j- just struck me. It's amazing what, if you'll just believe God, take Him at His word, there, there's some places that things are just so very uh, plain and obvious. In Ephesians chapter 2, many of you know it by heart. Uh, it starts out in the first three verses, giving an incredible description of a lost man. And he is actually describing the condition of the Christians at Ephesus before they got saved. And you, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, which would include Paul, had our lifestyle. King James says conversation means lifestyle in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the first chapter, the first paragraph in every human being's autobiography. I was dead in sin, living according to the course of this world, feeding my flesh and under the wrath of God. How in the world can anybody escape from that? But God! The next words. God's next words. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved and has raised us up and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. He didn't say, now God has done a wonderful thing, and He's made us partners in salvation. He has His part, we have our part. Salvation is of the Lord. You get out of verses 1, 2, and 3 because of God's grace. And in His grace, He gives faith. We're His workmanship. His workmanship. It's not a joint venture. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, what do you say to the lost then? You give them the gospel and you command you don't plead, you don't invite, you're not talking about commanding with a stern voice, but you give the the gospel and command the person to repent and believe and flee the wrath of God. It's just like we were looking this morning in Sunday school. Jesus said to a man, Something is totally impossible. Take up thy bed and walk. He took up his bed and walked there was a man who was not only dead but he stinketh this is where you need the King James it really puts the emphasis where it needs to be Lazarus was not only dead he stinketh and God said what? Lazarus come forth hmm is, is, is God speaking to me? I'll think about it. Uh, What can I do to help this process, Lord? Salvation is of the Lord. No less than Lazarus coming forth from the grave. When we give the gospel, we are giving people the impossible. People who are dead and all that's described there, we give them the gospel and God quickens the dead. The gospel is the power of God, not, not my stories, not my emotional stories, not my pleas to get you to do something. If you don't, God's going to be hurt. The gospel is the power of God. Faith is believing God. Faith is acting upon the word of God. There is no question about whether or not to share the gospel. With anyone who crosses our path, Because we're told to go to the whole world. What a privilege, what an honor. To give the gospel. And what a blessing to know is not up to me. To make anything happen. God quickens the dead. Now in verses 8 through 10. Abraham. He was called, went out, not knowing where he was going. And as an alien in the land of promise, dwelling in tents, there he was in verse 10. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So he left his home in Ur to go to the land that God had promised him. And when he got there, instead of building a big castle... He lived in a tent. He lived as an alien in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. It's not that he did not know how to build a city. He was waiting for a city that God would build. You say, that must have been Jerusalem. No, the Canaanites built Jerusalem. Jerusalem's imported important town. But that's not the city that God's building. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Hebrews thirteen fourteen. But is this true of us? Is everything that you and I want this morning in the American city? Every Sunday, every Bible study, every sermon, the average congregation is wanting the preacher to assure them that the American city is going to be okay. No wonder Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. What a statement. Everything that she lived for, everything that she hoped for, was in Sodom. And God said, Get out. Now, you don't have to leave America, but you do have to be an alien. And you need to do like our friend Dan Johnson years ago in preaching. He said, go, go to the store and get you a sticker, you know, a stamp. And put on the words, how the printers put on the words, passing away. And you go to your new Lamborghini or your clunker or whatever it is you have, but passing away. On your nice home, passing away. Your beautiful face. Well, you've always looked in the mirror. You know it's passing away. But we sure do fight against it. I mean, you might, but I wouldn't. Don't believe that. The quest for a country. Nothing hinders us more in our Christian living than being too much at home here. And all the people in Hebrews 11 were looking for a city. That's called living by faith. Believing God, acting upon the word of God. I'm not home yet. I'm to be an ambassador while here. I'm to do the very best job I can on the job that I have. So many things I'm to do right and good here on this earth while I'm here, but I'm not home yet. But my company wants my body soul. Yes. I understand. It's a battle but at the same time, you and I have some choices. I remember a man who had to quit his job and for a long time had a far lesser job because there was so much sin where he worked And he had already had the experience of giving in. And for him, it was best to leave that job. And God has honored that for many years now. We're nomads. Our citizenship is in heaven. And on this earth, we are ambassadors. Notice in verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them afar off and having welcomed them from a distance. You ever have like a a vacation? I'm I'm thinking of a scene, I was meeting in this family's home, uh, going through the love life book many years ago, and and, uh, this man worked long hours, and Some of you will pick up on this because you'll figure out who I'm talking about. uh, He came home one day from work and he said, honey, picked out a day. We've got some time off. We're going to go on vacation. So when I got there on Thursday morning at 7 a.m., the coffee table was filled with brochures of all the camping spots and all the vacation areas pretty well out throughout Tennessee. They were having a wonderful time, using the brochures, thinking about going here, going there, and it was incredible motivation. There's nothing wrong with that on a human level, but it helps us to understand, we do that, we understand that. And it came the big day, and they got in their camper, which was on the back of their pickup, and went out to have a wonderful vacation. And they had vehicle trouble and it rained all week. When I met with them the next week, they were still happy. They'd had more joy, especially her, they had, had more joy out of looking forward to what was going to be. And because they were being healed in their relationship with each other, the, the weather and the vehicle couldn't couldn't put out the fire of their relationship their love for Jesus and their love for each other. So we understand the process of having seen something afar off and welcomed it and confessed that they were strangers and, uh, under the earth. And he says, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Does anybody ever hear us talking about, not just as a theological point, but, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. I, I'm, I have business here on the planet Earth, and, and, and I want to be faithful, but uh, I'm not home yet. And I'm excited about seeing Jesus face to face. Because it says in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that country out of which they came, they would have had opportunity to return. And there's many people, and this is what was happening to some of the Jewish people, there were people who were infiltrating them with all of the glories of worship in Judaism and, and envisioning them of how wonderful that was. And it was being built up in their mind to go back. There were many people who started out professing faith, rejoicing in Jesus, but then they think about their old life. They run across a friend and say one smoke won't hurt. One drink won't hurt. One night out with the X Flame won't hurt. One television. One thing on the video on the on the on the iPhone. you forget about seeking a country a city whose builder and maker is God and you return but for those who are God's saints who are listening to the Lord they desire a better country a heavenly one and therefore God is not ashamed to call them their God for he has prepared for them a city. A true sign of saving faith is not mere attendance at the church service, not merely preaching a message. The sign of true saving faith is like those in the hall of faith. We receive and act upon the word of God. We live by faith. We live acting upon the word of God. And the result of a life of faith is that God is not ashamed to call us. He's not. He's not ashamed that to call us his, his people, and we his God. Are you a child of God? And you're a child of faith. By the grace of God. Not leaning to your own understanding. It's an enduring faith. You may stumble, you may fall, but you'll get up one more time than you've fallen. God will see to it. Jesus doesn't lose any of his sheep, none of them. To be a Christian is to be a new creation, it's a life of faith, a miracle of God's grace. What is God saying to each of us here today? Surely in these days in which we're living, we, we need to hear the call. We must live by faith. That is, we must live by the word of God. We must know what it says. We must heed it. Repent when we don't. That's a part of heeding it. It's a wonderful time to be a Christian because we have all the wealth and resources in Christ we need to go forward in the faith. Oh, Father, we thank you and we praise you and we bless you for amazing grace, for, for faith, for grace greater than all of our sin, for all the equipment we need to glorify you in this present world. Let us go forth to heed your word, to act upon your word. Let us go forth faithful to our places of temporal duty, but go forth as strangers and aliens in a foreign land with a high commission of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And for this we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.